It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, November 28, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. For the second time in less than two months, the Sitka Assembly is seeking applicants for a newly vacant seat. Assemblymember Rebecca Himshoot resigned at last Tuesday's meeting because she's heading to Juneau this winter. Two weeks ago, voters elected her to represent House District 2 in the Alaska Legislature. The Assembly unanimously approved Himshoot's resignation and greenlit an application process to fill her seat. For the next two weeks, the city will take letters of interest for the job. Then at the next regular meeting on December 13th, the Assembly will choose its newest member. Himshoot only had one year left of her three-year term. Whomever is appointed to replace her will serve in the role until the next municipal election. Last month, the Assembly appointed Tim Pike to fill a vacancy following Dave Miller's resignation. In other business, the Sitka Assembly approved an $8.2 million fund transfer for a marine haulout at the Gary Paxton Industrial Park. As Sitka anticipates another record cruise season next year, its two-decade-old fee structure for commercial operators is due for an overhaul. The Sitka Assembly on Tuesday reviewed a proposal that would do away with the old flat fees for vendors selling tours at Harrigan Centennial Hall and instead award permits to high bidders. The payoff for the city could run into the thousands. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. Every summer, tour operators and businesses set up shop outside Sitka's Harrigan Centennial Hall. It's the main downtown pickup and drop-off point for cruise passengers shuttled from Sitka's private cruise terminal out Halibut Point Road. But the fees for securing one of a limited number of spots in front of the city building haven't changed in two decades. And with Sitka's cruise passenger count expected to hit another record high next year, the spaces are increasingly valuable. In 2022, the spaces were first come, first serve, and cost vendors between $400 and $500. Under the new code, commercial vehicles dropping off and picking up passengers would be required to purchase a permit for the year, and businesses who want a space at the hall must bid for one. In August, Harrigan Centennial Hall building manager Tony Rosas and consultant Lenise Henderson presented their new permitting plan to the assembly. Since then, Henderson said they'd made a few changes, like decreasing the minimum bid for vendors to $2,500, which was a conservative estimate they based on one day's gross sales for an average vendor. But they kept the minimum bid for outfitters at $5,000. With the outfitter $5,000 fee, you're getting extra benefit. You're not only getting your space in the in the back um, for your sales and that type of thing, but you're getting storage space. These folks get to store their equipment there and not move it all summer, um, which is which is a really great value in, in my mind. But Sitka's Chamber of Commerce Director Rachel Roy worried that the minimum bid requirements might be too high. I think all of us are feeling that you know, the cost of doing business, the cost of everything is higher. And so just to consider that and maybe even to consider something of a phased approach into um, increasing the rates. Assemblymember Tor Christensen agreed that slowly increasing the bids over the next three years made sense. Something like 800 the first year, next year, or the year after that, 1600, and then falling on to 2500 for the uh, commercial spaces. I, I think that something like that makes sense, graduating it up so it's not a, a, a real uh, surprise. You know, I don't think it's going to be a surprise at this point, but it's not such a hit to them. And again, that's just the minimum bid. It may wind up coming in significantly higher anyway. 
But Mayor Steven Eisenbeis thought the fees they were considering were reasonable. A, a ramp-up approach has been suggested. Um, I believe this is a ramped-up approach. I don't believe that these values are astronomical at the time being for, for what you actually get. Um, while your individual space out front might be small, um, you essentially get this entire building um, that's open to the public as, as your, your area to conduct business. And I believe that to be very important in the conversation on, on cost is not, this isn't my 10 by 10 space, this is a bathroom facility, this is facilitators. The permits are only valid for one year, but some assembly members wondered why they didn't consider a multi-year permit. Municipal Administrator John Leach said one reason was to remove a barrier to entry for new businesses. If we put them all out for two or three years and then they're all purchased in that first year, it's three more years before anybody else can get a chance. So our hope is in this first year, um, we see what the appetite is and then maybe revisit this ordinance um, a year or two later to see if we want to change it to multi-year or consider a, a phased approach to it. Commercial vehicle permits will cost anywhere from $250 to $1,000 based on the size of the vehicle. Several assembly members also had concerns about the vehicle drop-off area, how to enforce rules around idling bus engines. Christensen wondered if they should add a higher fee rate for vehicles with 60 or more passengers, and Tim Pike suggested further incentives for electric vehicles. Mayor Eisenbeis suggested that they pass the code changes as written and bring back some of the ideas to make changes in the future. After a motion to change the fee structure for commercial vendors failed, the code changes passed unanimously as written. It will come before the Assembly again at its next regular meeting on December 13th. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The story of residential schools in Alaska is more complicated than recent headlines suggest. In Sitka, as part of Native American Heritage Month events, a panel discussion was held to examine the complex history of Sitka's former residential school, Sheldon Jackson. KCAW's Meredith Reddick reports. It's a rainy Sunday night in Sitka, and the front room of Fraser Hall on the Sheldon Jackson campus is bustling as about 20 people gather for a conversation about residential schools in Alaska. It's an appropriate location for the subject. Sheldon Jackson used to be a residential school. Moderator Yedi Kuk A. Dion Brady Howard spoke along panelists Bob Sam and Rebecca Polson about their work on the history of the campus. The campus opened in 1878 as a training school for Native boys. It also served as a boarding high school and college at different points until it closed in 2007. Polson, a local historian who interviewed Sheldon Jackson graduates after the school closed, said the story doesn't necessarily follow the narrative of many residential schools. Every single graduate of the high school we talked to loved it. Like, they use that word love. I loved SJ. Brady Howard similarly remembered a lot of pride from people who graduated from Sheldon Jackson High School. They kind of had a rivalry between Sheldon Jackson and Mount Edgecombe as far as school spirit. Residential schools have made headlines in recent years with the discovery of mass graves at schools in Canada. Brady Howard was careful to note that even under the best circumstances, these schools still worked to erase language, rituals, and traditions. And it's this notion that, you know, people needed to be saved and civilized and, and um, you know, introduced to, to religion and English and Western education. 
For Poulsen, the goal in documenting these stories is to prevent complex perspectives from being buried in time. Sam, a former tribal council member and longtime community member, uncovers history in a more literal way. He spends his free time clearing brush and writing headstones in Sitka cemeteries, including the plots behind the Shelton Jackson campus where many staff and students were buried. He recalled pointing out graves to a group of volunteers one day. And I showed them, oh, that's the founding member of Alaska Native Brotherhood. He's the one that built this flume. Oh, that's, that's a founding member of so-and-so. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's, those are the people that organized the 1904 potlatch. For Sam, restoring these local plots is a way to keep histories alive. The events of Native American Heritage Month are celebrating those histories and others with events through the end of the month. After months on low alert, five new bird flu cases were detected in Sitka this month. Jennifer Cedarleaf is the avian director at the Alaska Raptor Center. She says last week, a Thayer's gull and a common raven tested positive for one strain of the virus. Then they discovered a batch of new cases all in the same area of town. We sent a second batch in because we kept getting phone calls about ravens all in the same area of town, like over behind Blatchley Middle School uh, Marine Street area. And the ravens were like, a couple people found dead ravens in their yard, and then a couple people had ravens that were just acting very strange in their area. We went over and collected those birds, tested them, and three more ravens came back as positive. The new cases have the Raptor Center in high alert. Right now, they're not bringing new rescue birds to the center and have careful protocol in place to prevent the virus from entering the facility. Cedarleaf says recent reports of a bear testing positive for bird flu in Glacier Bay National Park have led the center to restrict the type of meat donations they accept for their birds. Right now, they're still taking deer and fish, but they're not accepting any bear meat. It's a reminder that birds aren't the only animals susceptible to the virus. I had a call this weekend about someone out camping, and they found an eagle that didn't look good. It looked like it was almost dead, and it was, you know, out at a Forest Service uh, cabin, and I just told them to just leave it alone. If you find a bird, if you're out camping or hunting, you find a bird that looks sick, is almost dead, and you have your dog with you, just try and keep your dog away from the bird uh, because dogs and cats are susceptible to getting avian influenza. Cedarleaf says Sitkins who own ducks or chickens should continue to take extra care of their flocks, and if you see a dead bird, don't pick it up. If you notice a bird behaving strangely, call the Alaska Raptor Center's emergency line at 738-8662. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.